Welcome to All Road 65 Max Radio, where the road ahead gets brighter as we journey toward truth, traveling through our dreams and inspiration into a new reality. It's time, and your ticket is waiting. All aboard All Roads Lead 65 Max with Pamela Henderson. Greetings. Thank you for joining me on BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson. My focus is my mission statement to help create a quality of life through social growth, inspiring Jews to become leaders by establishing partnerships with corporations, nonprofits, donors, sponsors, volunteers, the community, and abroad. Join me every other Tuesday on BBS Radio, All Row 65 Max Radio at noon. My special guest today is Dr. Rima Bonario. It wasn't until she hit crisis after crisis that Dr. Rima embarked on a spiritual path that enlisted her body, not just her mind, and a healing that awakened her sacred feminine sovereignty, showing her the way to approach everything in life from the feminine energy that attracts and receives. And the key to that emergence was the discovery of the seven queens that live within women. Dr. Rima is also the founder of the art of quantum living. At last, thank you for this interview chance, Dr. Rima, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Pamela. I'm just delighted to be here today. (laughs) Yes. So, Dr. Rima, how are you doing? We just had spoke about um, the weather in Vegas, but tell us a little bit about you. And also, I'm totally interested in your company. Tell us about the art of quantum living. Well, um, the Art of Quantum Living is a program that I co-created with two of my colleagues in 2008, actually, where we were really wanting to take a look at how it is that we create a world that works for all. And out of that work, um, we we were wanting to create a practice that people could use on a daily basis to help them do put into practice everything that we were learning in the early 2000s. You'll remember that the secret came out and there was a whole lot of work around thoughts become things and how to manifest and really to be paying attention to your consciousness because we're all co-creators. But what we noticed was that our unconscious habits of attention would get in the way of us being successful. And it was important, we discovered, to take a look at the conditioning that we all experience as people who grow up in an imperfect caregiving environment, an imperfect world. We have imperfect parents and teachers and uh, faith leaders and, um, you know, leaders in everyday life and perfect friends and siblings. And all of these things contribute to us having wounds, childhood wounds or conditioning. And these become subconscious or unconscious. And then later in life, we're trying to just finish a degree or have a successful relationship or start a business. And we run up against trouble 
And as much as we might be wanting to think positively, I can do it, I can make a change, I can make this happen, what we discovered is that the unconscious thoughts that are running behind the scenes in what's commonly called the shadow actually are more powerful sometimes than the conscious thoughts. And so we developed a practice, a 21-day shadow work practice, to help people find and uncover the unconscious thoughts that they have that keep them from creating the life they love. And interestingly, I, I spent 10 years uh, as a shadow work practitioner traveling the country, leading workshops, helping people tune into their own shadow material using this 21-day practice. And that became a, an important part of the work that I do with women in this clean work um, that's missing in a lot of the empowerment work that we see out there right now. Give me an example. Give me an example of exactly. So here I am, a woman who has gone through some adversity, and I couldn't sit here and say that sometimes some of the past doesn't remind me of certain things and has me a little skeptical of moving forward graciously. So how would you be able to help me overcome that side of the hesitant side of, you know, where that spirit that I feel always has, you know, makes me want to pause for a minute. Sure. Well, we, we have to do the work of figuring out what triggers us, what triggers that unconscious belief. So most people have a variety of unconscious beliefs that we hold. Um, Some of the more common ones are, I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable, I'm powerless, um, I'm, um, maybe it might be, um, you know, I don't measure up. But these are things that we don't think on a daily basis consciously, right? Most of, the, most of us feel relatively successful in life. And so it's sort of running in the background until something crosses our path that triggers it. And maybe it's, you're getting ready to pitch a, a new program that you want to create and somebody comes along and says, oh, that'll never work. And, and it touches the old belief that might be implanted from a long time ago that we worry, wow, maybe I, maybe I just can't do it. Maybe I just am not good enough to get this off the ground. And that creates that pushback, that hesitancy. And so this process gets us to examine, okay, somebody said something to me and what did that, what feelings did that bring up? So we access what feelings we have and then we dig deeper and say, well, what's the story that's running under that? And we have a whole way of helping people identify some of their core beliefs. And uh, for me, I could give you lots of examples in my life. The core belief that I have been um, most healing around is this idea of not feeling lovable. And, and so it becomes the lens through which we interpret the things that happen to us. So um, one day my, I had made this special effort before I went to bed at night to clean the kitchen. Like I did one of those really deep cleans, you know, removed the appliances, all the things, cleaned out the sink and went to bed thinking, oh, it's going to be so nice. I have a really busy day tomorrow. I'm going to move into my day with this great clean kitchen and I'm not going to, you know, this will be wonderful. 
But at that time in my life, I was the last one to get up in the house. And so my husband got up and he, and my daughter was up and they were getting ready for school and work and doing their things. And by the time I came down to the kitchen, it looked like somebody had cooked a five course meal and left everything behind. And I started getting very triggered by this, like, you know, and all the thoughts that came up, how could you do, how could he do this? How could he leave this? Couldn't they see how clean the kitchen was? How, you know, what is going on? And I was having all these judgments towards towards them, particularly towards my husband. And as I kept on with the litany, eventually it rolled around to, wow, he really must not care about me. He really must not see what's important to me. He really, you know, and then eventually it lands on to, wow, I must just not be lovable. That's why this stuff is happening. And because I was practiced with this work, it was really easy for me to notice, oh, look at me, here I am, I'm in story. And we make up the way the world works. We don't really know what's going on most of the time. So we make it up. That's what we have to do in order to survive. And so I gave myself the opportunity or the challenge to say, well, let me make this up in a, in a way that serves me. And so I just thought, well, I'm bigger than this. I can get over this. I can go back, you know, and I calmed myself. I did my meditation and my prayer practice, whatever I was doing. So I could go into my day thinking like, all right, I'm good. I cleaned it all up. I'm fine. But that evening when he got home from work, he came into the house with an elevated energy and he walked right up to me and he said, I have to tell you something. I said, oh, really? What's that? He said, well, you parked over too far in the garage and I could not get my car in. And I looked at him and I said, oh, really? Well, you know what you did? Here's what you did. And I ended up, you know, having this whole, we had gotten this whole argument and power struggle. And we actually had a a date planned for that evening. We did not have a successful date, as you might imagine. And so so I, the practice leads you to question these underlying beliefs. Because I could have said to myself in that moment, wow, it's just really um, not like him to leave such a big mess behind, which is true. Um, I wonder what was going on for him, why he did this. Maybe he has some important meeting at work that he was running late for. Maybe he got up late and was stressed. And maybe he knows that I have his back and he can leave a mess on occasion and I'll be all right with that. I could have made it up like that. And, and that would have allowed me to have more compassion for him and then more compassion for myself to say, yeah, it kind of sucks. I did clean the kitchen. Now I'm going to clean it again. And shadow work helps us to have more choice in those situations so we're not reactive all the time. And the work that I do with women around being in their sovereignty is tied very much to this goal of becoming non-reactive and instead becoming responsive and response-able, responsible for our responses. And the best way to do that is to understand the unconscious drivers that cause us to have these knee-jerk reactions. And once I peeled back the layers and I could see, oh, this is really about me not being seen when I was younger and this part, younger part of me is still longing to be seen in this way, oh, I can give that to this younger part of me. That's really not my husband's job. That's my job. And when I feel filled up and lifted up by myself and confident, then I have a lot more choice in how my relationships unfold. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Great. Thank you for sharing. That was very enlightening. I have a question, too. So when you have problems or questions, who do you turn to for help? 
Well, now I have a very vibrant personal practice, and um, and that's the first thing that I've created to help myself is I have a, a deep spiritual practice and a way of being with myself that allows me to be a safe place for me so that when I'm struggling, I provide myself with um, space and compassion and kindness and self-respect. And I give myself the space to to be gentle as I'm in um, whatever is the struggle that's going on for me. So I've become an ally to myself, which which I learned through my work with others, um, through my doctoral studies. I learned it by sitting in circles with other mentors, people that I've studied with. I have um, always am sitting in someone else's circle as well as leading my own circles because I'm a, a big believer that every teacher needs a teacher, every coach needs a coach. And so I study with Elaine Kalila. I studied with Diana Debro, I started studying with Sarah Beek. I studied with Anahita June. It's, I mean, it's just a long uh, a list of teachers who who've all been instrumental in helping me move greater, uh, take greater and greater steps towards embodying my own sovereignty and being present to myself in, in a really powerful way so that I get to be my own best friend and uh, my own source of safety. And this is a, a problem for many people in the world that we, we, and I did this for many, many years. I looked outward. I looked to others to try to make my life better. I, I blamed them if it wasn't going well. I had judgments about them. Um, I wanted things from people in my life that they couldn't give me and then was disappointed over and over again, rather than seeing that I am the captain of my own ship and the master of my own destiny. And it's important for me to feel empowered to provide those things for myself and to and to choose relationships and situations that are in alignment with my sense of self-sovereignty. And really what's so interesting about this, and it kind of comes full circle to the first conversation about recognizing ourselves as conscious co-creators of our lives, is that when, when we have an, an unsettled or um, incongruent interior, when we're not coherent on the inside, our life reflects that back to us. We, we find ourselves in situations that are there to show us or to mirror to us the places where we have work to do. Even if what that work is, is to give ourselves permission to have our holy no and to say, this right here, I'm not available for this. I'm removing myself from this situation and finding something else that works better for me. Yeah. That is so true. What spiritual disciplines do you connect with most? Well, I would say that primarily I work uh, in the psychological, psycho-spiritual domain. So it's bringing spirit and psychology together. Um, so I've traveled a, a, a large path in terms of my spiritual path. I, I was raised Catholic and um, I had a good foundation in that in the sense that uh, the belief is that we're here to, to love one another and to support each other through service. Uh, however, for me, my particular Catholic upbringing also had a lot of guilt and shame as part of that experience, which it took me a, a long while to get over to sort of say, okay, that doesn't fit for me anymore. That doesn't fit with my experience of the divine. I've been really blessed to have 
some very profound moments of meeting the divine myself in my own way, in my own space that sort of blew my heart open and and it allowed me to let go of the, the sort of man-made ideas about about what what God is or what the divine is and what it wants from me and um and through that process found love as the cornerstone for all of my spiritual uh, life and my spiritual understanding and it's about how much we can create more love in ourselves more love with each other more love on the planet and while it sounds very Pollyanna, I actually believe it's the thing that's missing the most for us right now. We, we've, um, you know, psychologists tell us that the human beings have two very basic and primary needs. One is to feel loved and the other is to feel safe. And um, when we grow up in environments that don't nurture a sense of safety or where we don't feel loved and seen, we develop adaptions for how we deal with that, ways to try to feel loved, ways to try to feel safe. And we can also internalize inside of ourselves ways that we don't treat ourselves very lovingly or we don't, we're not a source of our own safety. And then that's what creates all the conflict we see everywhere we go. It's all the power struggles we see of people trying to feel safe in the world. Well, I'll get mine. You get yours. I'm not going to worry about that. We're in competition with each other all the time. And that energy of competition and challenge is particularly damaging for women and women's bodies because um, the way energy moves, and this was a missing key for me, the way energy moves in a woman's body is different from the way it moves in a man's body. And um, competition and challenge can, um, can end up putting us in a place where we burn out physically and it's not the, it's not the most natural state for us. We are community builders. We are supporters by nature. It doesn't mean we can't rise to challenges. We do all the time and we're very good at meeting challenges, but it's typical that women tend to choose solutions that are more community oriented and that are, um, that are less of the, um, individual hero sort of formula and more of the community. Like if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I do agree. Is, is religion important to you, Dr. Rima? Well, I, I think religion is um, an important part of cultural humanity as a whole. And then how each one of us chooses to, share that in the world or engage with that in the world is, is a very personal choice. And, and for me, what I've found works best in my life is a more personal relationship, one that mm-hmm. infuses my day-to-day living. So it's not so much about what I do once a week on a Sunday, perhaps. It's more about how do I live my life every single day? Do I, do I show up in a way that I think uh, that makes myself proud and that would um, make the world a better place. That's that's really what my spiritual life is about for me. Yeah, I, and I agree. Uh, the same here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you ever had to handle a difficult spiritual conflict in your career? Well, I mean, I'd say my, my life was one giant difficult spiritual conflict <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> um, you know, I- just... 
just uh, really having to um, get past this upbringing that left me with this idea that if I didn't walk a particularly straight line, that I wasn't going to be loved by God or anybody else. I mean, and, it, and what I learned in my, I went to Catholic school my whole life was it just, it wasn't even just what I did. It was what I thought that was a problem. Even my thoughts could make God not love me. I mean, if you can imagine, this is very um, frightening for a six or seven or eight year old child to be told. And, um, uh, so that was not helpful for me, <laughs> and and I've I've really dedicated myself to uh, finding another form of spirituality, another relationship to the divine that is much more focused on lifting up and raising up and looking for the good and emphasizing the good and seeing uh, a new definition of sin as not being there's something inherently wrong with you, but rather, oh, you're just missing aligning with the true nature of who you are, which is, which is in fact, in my, in my personal belief system, I am an expression of the divine on earth. And I believe all of us are. And the more we can lean into that, it's a, it's a, it's a road to actually come to believe that, to see that active and at work in your life. And in fact, that was one of the things that really pushed me into doing this uh, deeper work was um, that I had found a new thought spiritual community and was hearing all these ideas about, wow, you are an expression of the divine. Just like the, if you take a drop of ocean water out of the ocean, it's still, it's still ocean water. And, and uh, just like you have the divine in you as having been created. And, but I kept watching my behavior, not being very divine. <laughs> and I thought, well, something's going to need to change here. You know, if, if I'm actually an expression of the divine, I'm going to have to figure out why I keep behaving in these ways that are not the way I want to be. And when my daughter was young, you know, I came out of an Italian family and the one acceptable emotion in our family was anger. So, so there was a lot of, you know, yelling and screaming and also a lot of physical reprimanding. And uh, we chose not to do that with our daughter, but I, I was, I was a, a pretty good yeller in her early days and I didn't like it. I didn't, I, you know, children give you immediate feedback as to how you're showing up and, here I would lose my cool and she would cry and I would just be crushed because I knew how that felt. And I found myself over and over again, kneeling down and saying, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. I will do better. I will do better. And, and that really launched me into what do I need to do in order? What do I need to do in order to heal so that I can do better for my daughter so that I'm not continuing to, have this cycle of dysfunction passed on to her. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And that's one thing when you are, you know, really like in line with yourself mentally and spiritually. And as we grow up in the certain things that our parent have done and have shown us some of those bad behavioral issues. And it's good to, when we, uh, identify with that so we can move forward to know that we want to be better. You know, we want to show up a little bit more loving and more understanding with our children. So I, I totally agree with that. I think that that's the path forward for us is that every advancement we can make in our own healing 
doesn't just heal ourselves, it heals the world. I really believe that at an, at an energetic level, but also at a very practical level because it changes the way we treat the people in our lives. And, you know, we're, our behaviors are either going to create more fear, more separation, more destruction and dysfunction, or our behaviors are going to create more safety, more love, more connection. And, and that's the path forward that leads us into being the very best versions of ourselves that we could be. And really, that's, that's all we can manage anyway. We, we don't have any control over how other people show up, whether or not they do their work. But what we do have control over is how we show up and if we do our own work and we are, we are um, choosing to be the best versions of ourselves. And it's not always easy. This is the thing, right? So the self-help industry is a billion-dollar industry, and uh, a lot of things are very useful and helpful, but sometimes they can also unwittingly end up generating more shame, like why can't I just stop this behavior? This was where I was when I was, you know, wanting to stop being a yeller. And it took me actually, first of all, admitting to it. And I remember the day I sort of looked at my husband and with tears in my eyes, I said, oh, my God, I'm a yeller. I'm a yeller. And he said, yeah, honey, you're a yeller. And it was just so just, oh, just, you know, shocked and disgusted and unhappy about this. But it was actually the first step in making change was to just really own that behavior and say, yeah, this is a problem and I want to do something about this. Yeah. So do you believe in karma? Uh, I think, I think karma as a concept probably exists. I mean, I definitely don't believe we only get one shot at life. I think where my personal experience has been that I even have started uh, in these later years of my spiritual um discoveries, the more deeper I go, the more connected I feel to what is like a long, a long soul experience that goes across multiple lifetimes. And I, I have had moments where I've been able to heal issues that feel like they have really long legs, you know? Um, and, but karma, I think is rare. Um, I think most of our trouble actually starts in our, current life experience and there's enough to deal with and heal in our current life experience for most of us that we don't you know it's nice on occasion to see if we can find something that's older than that but in general I think most of us arrive at a healthy functional loving safe place just by cleaning up what we were handed in this lifetime and really that's a big enough task in my opinion (laughs) right (laughs) Well, I had to ask you that question because I'm spiritual, too. And I always hear that when someone says when anything someone has done to you, believe you don't even have to react because karma will find them. Well, you know, my response to that is absolutely. Maybe I don't call it karma, but what goes around comes around, you know, and we are creating our experience of life on Earth. We're creating whether it feels like heaven or whether it feels like hell right now, right here. And when people don't treat us well, that is out of alignment what I, with what I believe is the ultimate, um, you know, decision that we all want to have as a community together. But I also have this belief that whatever happens for us, we can use for our good. And so sometimes the most challenging experiences yield some of the biggest rewards. 
So I had a starter marriage early in my life, what I call a starter marriage. I was married for three years and it was a disaster, an absolute disaster. And, um, and, you know, I was so in love with this man when I met him and I mean, I had stars in my eyes and he could literally do no wrong. And eventually when all the love hormones wore off, all of the ways that he was an aligned match for the challenges and the dysfunctions I'd had as a child showed up. And I remember sort of begging him to go to therapy with me. And, uh, you know, he went along grudgingly. And I said to the therapist, I, I feel like I'm in my parents' marriage and I'm going to die. You know, I don't want to repeat this thing. And she sort of asked him, is she right? Is, are you, is, is that what's happening here? And he said, yeah, kind of. But he really said to me, look, I'm not interested in personal growth. And so you can't really do anything with that at that point. And, and, uh, and eventually I left that relationship. And in the leaving of that relationship, it was, it was devastating for me. I was still very much involved in the Catholic Church, and immediately there was no place for me as a divorced young woman in the Catholic Church. And um, the whole thing was just so agonizingly painful that it pushed me on to my spiritual growth path. And so I am so grateful to that person coming into my life and, you know, all the horrible things that we went through because it ultimately served me and led me on the path to becoming the woman that I am today and has allowed me to, to help others get out of difficult and tragic situations so that they can go on and create a life they love. So even when someone's you know, in what feels like in opposition to us, it feels as though it's against us. We we can uh, set a boundary there so that we don't have to continue to have that dysfunction in our lives and at the same time choose to use it to become stronger, to become more clear about who we are, to become more aware of what we want to create in our life. Yeah. So, because I, I had taken the time and anyone that I... Uh, join in for an interview, I always read a little bit about who you are. And you stated that you can show someone how to discover the queen archetypes within you. It That frees you from imprisonment inside your mind and body and from without. Can you give me a little synopsis about that, please? Sure. So I became really interested in this idea of sovereignty, and in particular, self-sovereignty. And sovereignty mm-hmm. is defined, defined as supreme power and authority and being free from external control, a, a state of self-governance, right? And so I, I knew for myself that I had not had a lot of experience of feeling like I had complete self-governance, control over my own life. And uh, I, I wanted to have more of that sense of my own self-sovereignty. And and as I began looking through the literature to see where could I find examples of women that felt so empowered and so in uh, charge of their own lives that I could right. be inspired by this. And I discovered this... Um, threefold archetype of the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Have you have you heard of those? Um, no, I haven't. No, so I have. the maiden, Please. the mother, and the... Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about this. The maiden, the mother, and the crone are three archetypes that women often hear about, um, and they have to do with our life 
sort of our life circumstances. So we're, when we're younger, we're sort of considered the maiden. The maiden doesn't have a lot of responsibility. She's, she's more tuned into her playfulness. She's a little bit freer. Um, and then we have the mother energy where sometimes we become physical mothers and we actually give birth to children or raising children, or maybe we give birth to ideas and we raise our ideas or we're giving birth to our careers and we, and we focus on our careers. And then there's this idea that the, then we become a crone or the wise woman at the end of our lives. But the crone sometimes gets relegated into this idea of, yeah, just go sit on your rocker and look out, and if people are interested in your opinion, they'll come and ask you for reflections. And to me, that just seemed altogether incomplete. You know, I, I knew I wasn't in the maiden energy anymore. My daughter was growing up. I was sort of finishing up some of my mothering activities, and I was not ready for crone. And as I was digging into the literature that was available, I eventually ran across this fourth or missing archetype of the queen. And the queen sits between the mother period and the crone period. It's a time in our life where we've matured and we are no longer um, subject to the whims of the, you know, our little girls or our, and we're, we're sort of a little bit on the edge or finished with some of our mothering energy. And the queen herself What's special about her is she knows her power and authority completely on her own, not in relationship to others, not in relationship to what she's doing in her life or even the time in her life. We can access queen energy anytime in our lives. And what I learned was if I really wanted to be a successful wise woman and really mm -hmm. embrace my crone years, I needed to first fully embody my queen because she's the one that helps me access my deepest self-sovereignty so that I can stand in my truth and what I know to be true for me. And as I was doing this work of looking into the queen, um, I could see there were all these, what I call the curse of unsovereignty, all these ways that I'd been unsovereign in my life. And I was living not from my truest self, but from the self that I thought other people wanted from me, you know, so I could be a good girl and a good mother and a good wife and a good employee and all the things, you know, it's not that I don't want to be those things, but I want to be the best version of me that's authentic and comes from my soul that comes from inside of me. Not right. We don't need to be trying to please everybody else and their dog out there we just cut ourselves Absolutely. up into a thousand pieces and it's never fulfilling for anyone so I women like today <laughs> yeah many of us today are unfulfilled and in fact there's been so much evidence and research that's done that uh, women seem to feel even though we've had more economic prosperity and have entered um, a time where we have more control than maybe we've had in a long time over our lives, although we're seeing some of that come under fire right now, um, there's, right. there wasn't an increasing level of happiness for women. So we're, we're, we've got more stuff, you know, we've got more power perhaps in the halls of power, but we're not happier. And, and it's, it's a problem, you know, because most of the time what we're chasing is something that the rest of the world tells us we need in order to be happy and successful rather than what's coming from the inside out. And so these seven queens that I discovered um, inside, I broke that queen archetype into seven queens that were seven areas of my life where I wanted to be sovereign. 
began to give me a pathway into this more authentic way of being happy. Um, and those, if you'd like, I can tell you what those areas of sovereignty are. I know. I was going to ask you about that because that was, that was very interesting for me. And I appreciate you even explaining the grounded queen. But yeah, we need to talk more about this a little bit because I want to know about how once I managed to, which I feel that I am, a grounded queen. But what about the passionate queen? Yes, that's in me too. The empowerment queen, the expressive queen, and it goes on. And you have um, discussed about the different queens. So yes, tell me a little bit more. The visionary queen, the divine queen. (laughs) Yeah, so they're all linked to different forms of sovereignty. So what I discovered for myself was that I wanted to understand how I could be spiritually sovereign, right? We've talked about this, right? So I had all of this to overcome in my background. How can I be spiritually sovereign, free and of of myself to define for myself my own spirituality and what works for me? That's the, that is the divine queen. I wanted to know how could I be um, mentally sovereign? So that my thinking was clear. I was able to see things clearly. That's She's under the domain of the visionary queen. She oversees mental sovereignty. I wanted to be able to express myself in the world, whether that was how I dressed or the work that I did in the world, what my contribution is in the world. So that's the expressive queen. That's all about how I live um, a Buddhist principle called Dharma, you know, my, my natural gifts or my medicine for the world. How do I live that? She comes out from the expressive queen. Um, Then in relationships, I wanted to have emotional sovereignty so that I wasn't losing my shizzle all the time, you know, and that I didn't feel codependent and I didn't feel um, avoidant, that I was able to connect authentically from the heart. So that's the loving queen's domain. Then the one... Yes, she's she's so important. We can dive into each of these a little bit more. I'll, I'll, there's three more to go. And the next one was, she was one of the hardest ones for me. It's the, the empowered queen because she deals with our sense of power. And I had to really unlearn a lot of ideas about power and about um, uh, shame. Each of these queens also has a challenge associated with it, and shame was a big uh, holdover from my childhood. Anytime we are wanting to be in our own uh, self-sovereignty so- and like express our, our will for ourselves, our will for the world um, that we live in, we can be met with shame, you know, um, and, and if somebody's trying to push you down and get you into a really small box, that's a, that's a really difficult position to be in. And I had to do a lot of work to regain my power. And because I wasn't very well seated in my empowered queen, I was often in her shadow expressions and, the way the empowered queen expresses her shadow is the cutthroat queen who's always cutting other people's heads off or the beheaded queen who's always cutting her own head off. And I would bounce back and forth between these two expressions because I didn't yet know how to fully embody my power in a healthy way. I wasn't able to do it honorably. Nobody had shown me how to do that honorably. And so um, it was a lot of work to get there. Uh, so that's what the empowered queen is all about. The passionate queen that you mentioned, she is really about our sexual sovereignty and understanding ourselves as 
creative forces and life force energy and creative force comes when, when you think about um, sexual energy as the, the place where life begins. It's not just something that shows up in our bedrooms, but it can show up in all areas of our lives. If we feel open and creative and then we allow the flow of life force to move through our bodies and move through our lives, do we create sensual living spaces that feel good to our bodies and nourishing to our bodies? Are we, are we able to move our body and love our body in a way that it feels, um, you know, available to be in union, in sacred union with another person? And then that leads us to physical sovereignty, which is the grounded queen. So she, the grounded queen, really helps us to look at, are we doing a good job of taking care of ourselves physically? Are we, are we um, healthy in our habits? Are we in a place of abundance so that we have all of our needs met? And the grounded queen really helps us with that. Wow, that is so deep. <laughs> That is very deep. Thank you. So you have a new book, The Seven Queendoms, a soul map that you stayed. And I know in our discussion, you really have really discussed the book. But since I have mentioned the book, just tell us something else that we don't know about in this book that it would be something for a, a great read because like a, such as a woman such as I, whom is very spiritual and I fit into all these categories with the queen and I have no ego, but still yet I'm always being faced with such issues of others whom don't understand that. I'm just a living spiritual being who loves to help people. And some people don't understand that. They take it in another way. But tell me about the book. Well, I, I am happy to talk about the book. It's a, it's a really an adventure, this book. It's not just something that you read and put on your shelf. It's full of exercises and prompts and uh, activities and practices that you can do to actually bring these queens alive in your life. And the first part of the book is, is really me sharing about my own journey and how it is that I came to develop this body of work. And uh, I, I take the perspective that we are living in mythic times right now, that we are facing some really deep challenges as a human family, um, the kinds of challenges that maybe have never been seen before at the global level, you know, and mm -hmm. it feels sometimes like our reality is like shifting sands, right? We, where, where do we, where do we know that there's a place to put down our foot solidly? And, and life is moving very, very quickly. Um, and I believe it's because we're in this time of epic change and that if we were born on the planet at this time. It's because we are here to make a difference, to step up to this challenge and to see that we are, are, our glittering souls, you know, are here to shine through. And we just sometimes need some help to make that our day-to-day -day experience. And so in the book, I, I, I talk about my own 
spiritual growth and awareness and, and the challenges I faced and all this discussion of shadow work and how I had to go through this period of surrendering my superwoman so that I could become a wow. satisfied woman instead. And there was, uh, you know, trying to do it all and doing it in a way that actually caused me to not be connected to my feminine essence. And it had some really unfortunate problems that caused problems in my relationships, that caused problems in my health. And I needed to turn in my superwoman cape and, and pick up my queen's crown instead. And, and, and this is what I go through in, in the, in the book. I talk about this importance of reclaiming feminine principles and feminine values as having meaning. Uh, we've had about two, plus thousand years, maybe even as many as four or five thousand years where actually it's at least that long, where the the masculine principle of building and uh, mm-hmm. growth and individual competition has been the guiding principle. And there's so much good that comes from that. I'm not uh, somebody that knocks masculine energy. And by the way, let's be very clear here. Everybody has feminine and masculine energy in them, both women and men. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong. I love and adore men. Um, uh, and, and I'm talking about a feminine principle that is the principle of nurturing it's sort of like the earth mother or uh, gentle mother energy versus the stern father energy. And, yeah. and there's, you know, there's a times and moments where we need to carry the, sto- the sword of truth, um, but we also have to have our shield of wisdom. We must bring wisdom together with truth. We must have kindness with truth. And uh, we need nurturing ways of living together and working together and helping each other move forward. So this book is really about reclaiming the feminine within ourselves first so that we can be a good um, a good ally for ourselves and then become a good ally for each other. And, and as powerful women in the world who, who've gotten not just mastered our own masculine energy, but we've also learned how to master and harness our feminine energy and our feminine capacity, we become unstoppable. And when we join together as women mm-hmm. and collaborative creators and lift up our young girls in the world and show them a new way forward where they don't have to be afraid of their feminine side, their feminine energy, um, they they don't have to become a better man than the men. We'll never be better man, men than men. <laughs> but we can be we can be better women, yes. And in fact that's really our job is to embody the deepest knowing, the deepest beauty of what it is to be an embodied woman. And, uh, and that kind of power is sorely lacking right now. So when you read the book, you go through mm-hmm. that whole conversation about reclaiming the divine feminine, you know, this energy that we used to have, not just a, a male form of divinity, a god, we also had a goddess. And what happened when this, the female face of the divine went away and how important it is to bring the energy of the goddess back into our culture, into our understanding and that more of that mothering energy that's, that's positive. Now, some of us might have had very fraught relationships with our moms. And so some of the healing work means that we have to, we have to look at that and heal that and repair 
whatever damage was done there so that we can have access to this sacred feminine love that's so powerful. And that allows us to then access our own queen energy and reclaim the divine feminine within us and then become a force for good on the planet. Oh, beautiful. Well stated. What outcome matters to you when you're coaching someone? What I'm always supporting my students and clients to do is to tap into their own inner wisdom and locate within themselves what their particular form of sovereignty looks like. How do you know when you are in your sovereignty and when you're out of your sovereign self, when you've made a non-sovereign choice? And what can you do to develop practices and um, behaviors that support you in catching that as quickly as you can and without shaming yourself, just simply pivoting and making a better, more sovereign choice. And when my clients become practiced at that, where they can feel their inner queens working with them and they're able to say, oh, that wasn't a very physically sovereign choice. Let me choose, uh, let me, you know, make a salad today for myself with some healthy, hearty vegetables instead of going and picking up the Cheetos, you know. Um, that's a more sovereign choice, for example. And, and, and we, listen, we have forms of what I call sort of the fast food choice in all arenas of our lives. We can make the fast food choice in relationships. We can make the fast food choice at work. We can make the fast food choice with our entertainment and how we choose to use or direct our attention. And, the choice that I invite myself and those that work with me into is what's the deepest, most nourishing, or at least a deeper or more nourishing choice you can make than that choice. Whatever that is, move towards that. And it's not about perfection. Nobody is perfect. It's about making right. progress. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Dr. Rima, for the past 20 years, you have emerged as the leading luminary in women's empowerment and practices. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I would say I'm lucky to be part of a growing movement of thought leaders and women who have been exploring for themselves what it means to be a powerful and empowered woman. And, um, and so I, my goal is, or what's moved within me once I did this work for myself was to make a path that others could follow along behind. And, and there's so many amazing women out there. I mean, I think sort of one of the earliest ones we all saw for, for so long, not that I'm comparing myself in any of this way. She's one of my heroes was watching what Oprah was able to do with her life and how she actually opened a door for those of us who were interested in teaching this work and coming along. And she, you know, the people that she would interview and have on her stage, everyone from Marianne Williamson to Ayanna Van Zant to um, now Brene Brown. I mean, you know, um, Glennon Doyle, there's so many amazing women out there who are doing this work and, I feel it's so important, even for any of us, if we have discovered something that we found helpful, to be willing to share it with others. That's how we make a difference in the world. And so um, whatever that is, whatever you know, to anyone who's listening right here, whatever piece of guidance you've figured out for yourself, it's, it's not about 
telling other people to do with what to do with their lives, but to become an inspiration. And people will ask, you know, what is it you're doing? I've watched, I've watched you change. I've watched you grow. You seem so happy. You seem like things are working for you. What, what is it that, that you're doing that's working for you? And we can help lift each other up this way. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I know you do that really, really well in your work, Pamela, and this, that your podcast is a huge source of inspiration for people. So I'm so grateful that you had created this and that I've had the opportunity to be here with you. Yes, it's very enlightening. And I, and I really appreciate you. I am totally humbled. I really am. But I also want to discuss, you are the founder of Bloom Fine Egyptian Oils. So tell me about that because I'm into oils. Oh, this was, has been so fun. This was so unexpected for me. So part of my work led me to do um, sacred travel journeys. I take people on sacred pilgrimages, primarily to Egypt. And um, Egypt has become like a soul home for me. I don't quite know how to explain it. But when I got mm-hmm. off the plane there, I felt like, wow, I have come home. Finally, I'm somewhere old enough to hold my soul. And I went on a sacred journey there to visit all the incredible, powerful sites there, the different temples. And I had the great good fortune of meeting Gamal um, Abdul, who is one of my teachers now, who's, he is a fifth generation alchemist whose family does essential oils in the same tradition that's been done for years in Egypt. And he creates, um, he has all these oils and he gave us a workshop on the chakras. And so the, each of the queens that we talked about is um, she also is connected to one of the seven body chakras. And I was give, gifted with uh, studying with him a set of chakra oils that were mm-hmm. one for each of the chakras. And I began working with those oils and they changed my life. And so what I've discovered now is that all of the work we're doing with our spiritual thinking and our bodies and our minds and our hearts gets elevated and goes faster and is more efficient when we're also working in the energy body. And essential oils work like homeopathic remedies in the physical and energy body. And so I don't do anything now. I don't teach anything now without having my students work with these oils because they're so powerful. It's an ancient technology that's sort of like a It's fun, first of all, anointing yourself. You smell gorgeous and beautiful and you feel like a queen and all the beautiful ways that you get to pamper and love yourself by doing this practice of anointing yourself. And then on top of that, it's actually working to help you heal the issues related to each of these areas of sovereignty that we talked about. So I highly recommend them. They've been, uh, I never expected to be in the business of sharing oils like this with people, but it's been a true labor of love for me. I'm very passionate about it. Yeah, that's true because I um, have a lot of aroma oils that I use like throughout my home. And I do know the difference because it's say like if I had like a kind of like a rough day, and I can come home and I can put one of my oils get um, on and everything. I feel that difference within me and I'm so relaxed. So mm-hmm. it like, only takes about 20 seconds for an oil to go from the skin 
into the deepest parts of our body for it to be felt. And when we smell it, it's even faster because the olfactory senses, like smelling, it's the fastest way to change your brain chemistry. So, you know, whatever oils people have in their space, they're, they're great to work with. And uh, you're so right. I mean, you can change your, your mood sometimes very quickly. And when we work with these oils, um, I encourage all my students to use all seven of the, the body chakra oils every day in the morning. It's like putting on your spiritual armor for the day. Armor's not a good word. It's like your, your, your priestess cloak, if you want to call it that where okay. it really allows you to move through the day um, feeling really deeply rooted and connected mm-hmm. to yourself. Wow, yeah, and you are right. So I know we're headed up for time and everything because we can chat, chat, chat. But Dr. Rima, Rima, is there anything else you would like to share about what's next before we go and how someone can t- contact you? For your well, I, I would love for people to come and visit me on my website at remabonario.com. And they can mm-hmm. also get the book. The book is available on Amazon, The Seven Queendoms, The Soul Map for Embodying Sacred Feminine Sovereignty. Um, and I have other things that I do offer. I offer classes where people can study with me on how to um, really embody these these queens within themselves and we've just created a quiz um, where people can go and um, they can look and find out for themselves what is their particular queen that they need more of uh, in their lives and I'm just pulling up that quiz link right now to offer people because this is a sort of a fun way to um, to find your what it is that you need to be working on most and uh, and go from there. And, in fact, people can look. If they go to remobonario.com, they can find uh, right there uh, several kits that I've created that helps sort of look into and go deeper with each of these queens as well. Right. Wow. Yes. Okay. Well, Dr. Rima, It has been a pleasure having you on my show, and I do look forward to chatting further in the future. Thank you again, and good luck on your endeavors. Well, Thank you so much, Pamela. (laughs) I have reached my destination. I am an award-winning author of the new book, A Journey of a Sapphire. I hope to inspire others who are on their journey towards success to never give up on your dreams and how to recognize behavioral problems. You can purchase my book at journeyofasapphire.com or on amazon.com journey of a sapphire by Pamela Henderson. Also available on Kindle Fire. And as always, I leave you with this quote and do have a wonderful blessed day. She's the kind of queen that knows her crown isn't on her head, but in her soul. Adrian Michael. Cheers, everyone, and do have a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to All Roads 65 Max Radio with Pamela Henderson. 
Join us every other week on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio Station One. And please visit allroads65max.org and become a volunteer or sponsor and be the change you want to see in this world. With your help, we can make a difference in our society and uplift those who so desperately need our help. Thank you for tuning in.